It's a nice little villa. Are you going to buy it? When my life is going, that'd be a terrible idea. Terrible idea. Don't you just love this? Stop the bus! Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast spending Christmas with your favorite French lesbian actresses. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with a man both gay and away, Joe Reed. Harold, they're Italian. Harold, <laughs> uh, they're Polish. Harold, some of them are Polish. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you know... Do we think that the Polish man... That spends the entire movie in a beret. Do you think that they told him, we're sending you to France? And he said, let me find a way to fit in. Little did he know. They were sending him to Italy. sent to Italy. Yeah. <laughs> and then he said, oh, I left behind all of my, uh, I guess you could wear a, well, no, not really a beret in Italy. What's the, what's the Italian hat of choice? It's more of a. More of like a pork like a pie newsboy hat. pork pie kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah depending like on what pork kind pie, of pie, but you have a, a neckerchief. Sure, if you want to be yes, if you want to be like um, Jude Law in in Talented Mr. Ripley or something like that, or you could just do like the sort of like newsboy cap. I pick olives all day, kind of a thing. Uh, that could also work. There isn't really like a stereotypical. I think the the pork pie hat thing that you're describing with the neckerchief is like if you are a gondolier, like if you would like to, if you would like a, a career as a gondolier in Venice, then that is where where you what you're wearing when you show up to the Italian border, and just like <laughs> I would like a job as a gondolier, and they say come this way. Um, uh, you as a uh, you are coming this way. Can we say also every time we talk about a movie set in Italy, we tend to reference um, uh, Captain Corelli's mandolin in some way because we are uh, our brains are teeny tiny little smooth little things, <laughs> and yet we are, we are talking, dirty Americans. We are talking about a film that is very much about a bella bambina. That is literally just true. a woman who shows up in Italy. And everybody, I do love a movie about an American who goes to a foreign country and everybody falls in love with them. It's such an American <laughs> thing of just like, well, naturally, um, everybody. And of this course is- they're going to love us over there. We are going to be the new, like, village unofficial mayor. And honestly, like, this movie is is fairly sort of self-aware of that kind of thing. And that's one of the things that I like about it is it exists. In this little, like, there's a little bit of a winkiness, and yet, like, it's also not afraid to just indulge in 
you know, cliches that we like. And, and, you know, there are these cliches are, exist because, you know, they're tried and true a little bit. I would say some of these cliches, that's like, this is when those cliches were metastasizing. Sure. Sure. Because it's not, there's nothing so eye rolly in no. this movie as there might be in, say, like, Eat, Pray, Love. Correct. Correct. Yes. Um, Granted, only part of Eat, Pray, Love takes place in Italy. Sure. But, but I know but what you, you mean. I know what you mean. That's sort of like, well, I found myself in the last place I thought I would ever find it. You know what I mean? In in you know in a in a villa in Tuscany and no I think that's right I think this is this is obviously um sort of fairy tale you're in a fairy tale realm a little bit it's like you know nothing in this movie ha- hap- nothing that happens in this movie couldn't actually happen in real life and yet it usually doesn't right it usually it's even nev- though this is based on a memoir. Right. Listeners, do not tell us how close this is to the memoir. I assume that everything in this movie is invented. Well, they put that title card at the end about, like, yes, this is based on the book, but yes, we changed a lot of things for dramatic purposes. So essentially it was being like, don't yell at us. So <laughs> we're going to put that same title card up. Um, this is about the movie. This is not about the book. Um, I'm happy that you read the book. I probably won't read the book. Um because they have the movie, and the movie is just perfectly fine. But, like, everything that happens in this movie is within the realm of possibility to happen to a person, and yet it is not remotely in the realm of plausibility. Like, you are never going to end up on a gay tour of Italy where it, you stop for sheep, and you go into the house that you stop in front of, and the old lady takes a shine to you. And so I guess I'm doing the plot description right Bird now. shits on your head. Bird shits on your head, and then you That's get... That's the worst thing that happens to her in this movie, You get this this Tuscan villa fixer-upper that then you you end up with, like, the three most dedicated, or four most dedicated and loyal sort of workers you could ever find who dedicate years of their lives to at least a year, right? I'm going by Sandra O's pregnancy. Um, I imagine this takes place over the course of a year. Ish. The center left politics of we are going to draw these cultures together. Yes. Uh, we will be the motivating force of drawing these cultures but together. But can I tell including you? Including queer people. That <laughs> shit, I eat that shit up with a spoon. Can I tell you? That is my most. When people talk about, like, say, like, liberal as a pejorative, that's sort of my most liberal, like, fantasia is just like, chosen family mul- like multiple cultures coming she's together she's going to draw she is going to be the multi- motivating force of drawing these people together everyone's bringing something to the table literally to the table because like we have set up a dinner table and the generations are there and and queer people are having babies and young people are are you know using your bedroom for sex sometimes there's a kooky actress there's a actress dancing in a fountain and she's the most beautiful woman you ever saw and she has feathers in her hat and all she seems to want to do is to give you advice for how to live your best life and she has a fellini story that's probably a lie probably but why would you ever disabuse her of that notion and um Ah, Dan Bukatinsky is a bitch. Is a real bitch. Is just a real bitch, and that's part of the fantasy too. To be honest, to be completely honest, 
Hard to believe that there was only one bitchy gay on that gay and away trip. I did have that thought of like, oh, what a lovely little vacation that is. And then I'm like, hmm, in real life, Bukatinsky really wouldn't be the only bitchy gay. And yet, I also They'd be could passing see... around poppers as they're like on the bus. But I could also see that same, like, Diane Lane is a beautiful you know, 30-something, maybe 40. How old do we think she is? Early 40s in this movie, maybe? Um, sure. Woman. And what do gays love more than beautiful, recently divorced? Like, they are gonna Stella got her groove back, this woman, back to coherence. <laughs> like, that's maybe um, uh, the more... And then the then the lesbian couples... Uh, would be like, oh, God, they're making such a big fucking deal about her. Um, but the lesbian couples put her there on this trip. I don't think... No, the other lesbian Kate couples on the, on the tour, though. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. yeah. No, maybe they would also get into the spirit of of makeover, makeover. Um, but listen... It is very alanchuck.travel <laughs> tour. <laughs> um, y- you know. Did you say alanchuck.travel core? Yeah, it is. I love that turning it into a core, though. That's good. That's um, that's perfect. Um, it's just a lovely movie. I had seen it for the first time only a few years ago. Um, so it was nice to revisit oh, really? it uh, 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 relatively soon. Um, yeah, it's great. I love it, and it had a little bit of Oscar Positive buzz. I saw this in theaters with my grandmother. It had a little bit of awards buzz, and honestly, sometimes a little bit is all you need, especially when the patrons it, are. All you selecting. need is last year's nominee opening a movie in late September. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> that's all you need, true. and then people see the movie, and it's like, oh, this is like the type of thing that people always reduce to a genre and uh-huh. doesn't really have a chance. But, but like, like the Golden Globes were into by it. virtue of when it opens in a calendar. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The Globes were into it. It got an art direction nomination. And, that's enough. And uh, you know, maybe the rom com, uh, you know. Oxygen was sucked out of the room by a real contender this year. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yes. Um, Joe, we are doing Under the Tuscan Sun today because it was brought to us by one of our patrons. Indeed. Uh, We have all month been doing episodes selected by our sponsor tier uh, patrons over on our Patreon this one comes to us from Brayden. Before we get into Brayden's Oscar origin story, Joe, why don't you tell our listeners about our Patreon? Sure. Yeah. If you would like to join us for even more fun and frivolity, even more AlanChuck.TravelCore, uh, you can join us if on- If you want even more gay and even further away, <laughs> why not take a nice destination over to Patreon.com? <laughs> uh we're calling it this had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance, uh, named after, of course, Shirley MacLaine's wonderful um uh Oscar acceptance speech for five dollars a month, the low, low cost of five dollars a month. Remember when they oh god, that's in bad taste. Um but genuinely they used to the phrase used to be for the price of a cup of coffee, you could X, Y, and Z. Five dollars is a real cheap cup of coffee at certain places right now. You know what I mean? So like honestly. 
for like it's a coffee with cream you know no nothing special no espresso for the price of half of a gingerbread latte you could get a membership to this at oscar buzz turbulent brilliance and you can get two bonus episodes per month uh at minimum one of those episodes will be what we're calling an exception so that is oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could do this movie for this had Oscar buzz? But uh uh-oh, it got one nomination. But it's still like a big, huge Oscar faceplant. So we're going to talk about it on our Patreon. Movies like Charlie Wilson's War and The Mirror Has Two Faces. Uh, We did an episode on Australia with our uh, good friend Katie Rich. We let our patrons vote on a a certain... We should do another poll soon. Um, uh, I was thinking that as well. um, we We talked about The Lovely Bones because of that. Um, and then the second episode every month on the 15th, we will talk about uh, an excursion. So what do we mean by excursion? We mean we're going to go off the beaten path of just like talking about a movie. So we're going to talk about on a quirky award show. We talked about the 1996 MTV Movie Awards. We're going to dip in and just be like, all right, what's the state of the current Oscar race? And we talked about that. We're going to talk about Hollywood Reporter Roundtables because we are good and rightly obsessed with those. We have coming up an episode on um we are selecting the our best of awards for 2023 as interpreted through the lens of quirky awards that various precursors give like the best first feature award at the independent spirits or best kiss at the MTV movie awards etc cetera, etc cetera. so you don't want to miss that i am super excited for how i'm going to populate that list i may start to prepare that today cuz it's getting closer um so anyway, all of that can be yours. Plus, we uh, will occasionally we have a hotline that you can uh, call in and give us questions or prompts, and we will uh, we will respond to that occasionally. We, uh, like I said, we have polls. You can uh, discuss the episodes uh, in the comments on Patreon, which I have found really, really delightful. Um, I, I enjoy hearing from our wonderful Garys there, our wonderful patrons, and. It's just been a very good um, development, I think, for the podcast as a whole. And we are incredibly excited to see where we're going to take it in 2024. So, perfect time. Fun. We are going to have some fun. Now is the perfect time to go and sign up. You can go to patreon.com slash this had Oscar buzz. Like I said, it's $5 a month. What other things can you get for $5 a month? You could get um, a. Oh, I don't know. A package of King's Hawaiian rolls for five dollars. Uh huh. You who doesn't love them? Get, um, you could get a pack of cigarettes. That's true. What oh. is what is Patreon? What is our Patreon not going to do? It's not going to kill you. That's true. Um, what a, what better way to kick off the new year than to quit buying a pack of cigarettes? Take one. It, one fewer pack of cigarettes a month, and instead uh, you get to hear us yammer on about stuff twice a month. Like that's a that's a good trade off, as far as I'm concerned. You could get a happy hour marg. Oh, what you actually you could get a McChicken sandwich at McDonald's, which I'm just my uh, our friend and former guest Matthew Rodriguez and I are uh, consistently complaining about how expensive the cheap items at McDonald's are these days. So um, there is no such thing as a value menu anymore on any fast food. It's so sad. It's Taco Bell is kind of crazy now because that is my fast food of choice. Yeah. Haven't had much lately. Yeah. I'm trying. 
But Taco Bell, you used to be able to feed like 20 people on $10. I may I that's maybe you might a thing be that has happened able to feed yourself on $20 nothing was better than like a bunch of people over at your house like just watching weird YouTube shit and just like let's just order a shitload of Taco Bell and <laughs> it's so fun all right anyway uh, do you think they have Taco Bell in Tuscany I don't we know. would be the rotted Americans. We would run the Taco Bell, Bell franchise in Tuscany. <laughs> <laughs> we will open a Taco Bell Cantina Hotel. We will buy an old Tuscan villa and turn it into a Taco Bell Cantina. They would show up to our villa with pitchforks and torches, and they would drag us out into the palazzo, and they would um, uh, throw us into the fountain and drown us, is what would happen. Until they taste the wondrous Crunch flavors. Of grade D meat and <laughs> cheese that is a cheese like, with a Z. electron away from plastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you're making me want. Then they you're will making understand. Me, you're tempting me, Chris. Now you're making me want Taco Bell, and I can't because it Were is a whiteout outside. My bastard friend who sent me a Taco Bell Cantina something or other the other day when I was really craving it and trying not to have it. I didn't do that. No, who did that? I feel like you might have. Okay, just because I forget one thing doesn't mean you can just like start telling me that I did things that I didn't do and making me believe that I did it. That's not fair. I feel like fair. you're the friend that knows my obsession with the Taco Bell Hotel. I'm okay. You're so thinking of somebody here, else. Here you're we thinking go. of somebody else. All right. Three layers of the gay experience. Uh-oh. You have the Taco Bell Cantina Hotel. Uh huh. You have Trixie Motel. I was gonna say Trixie Motel. And then you have Diane Lane Inn and Suites. Okay. All right. And the Inn and Suites exists on Diane Lane. Like, we have renamed, you know... uh, The street to Diane Lane. Yeah, to Diane Lane. Yeah. But it's Diane Lane Inn and Suites, and you you can have the unfaithful suite. It rents by the hour. Oh, my. Oh, dear. You can have the... um, you can have the under the Tuscan Sun suite. Most of them are the under must the love Tuscan dog Sun suite is pet friendly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pet can, friendly. Yep, yep, um, yep. You can have the uh, let him go suite. It is southwestern theme. You can have the Serenity suite. It overlooks the water. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to, but you have to like stand staring out the window yes, the whole the time. Entire time. The whole time. You're you have there. two options of what you can do in your room: have sex with Matthew McConaughey. Or stare up. You window. open the door to the room and it's just the window. Like that's all the space you have is to just stand in there <laughs> in front of the window while the like ocean breeze. It's you know, honestly, it wouldn't be a bad time. Um all right. Okay. We are talking about uh Under the Tuscan Sun, and it was selected by one of our patrons. So why don't you um uh give Braden their due? Braden. Thank you for giving us an excuse to rewatch this movie and have a wonderful time with it. Brayden uh, shares uh, the Oscar origin story, as we are doing with all of our patrons uh, this month to make it feel, uh, you know, get a little bit of uh, knowledge of all of our carries. Brayden says, as far as my origin Oscar origin story goes, I was born in 1991. Rude. And ah! I was raised by a single mom who loved celebrity culture. Entertainment Tonight and People Magazine were staples at our house. We also watched the Oscars every year without fail, even the E-Red Carpet Show. 
My mom would make snacks and we'd watch from our cozy basement in Utah. I think the first ceremony I remember was 1997 because I think I remember Count Chocula, a.k.a. Juliette Binoche, but I for certain remember the the Titanic ceremony, said nearly every guest, lol, Brayden, very true. Very true. Um, But it went beyond that. I remember reading the Oscar section of People every Oscar season. They would make predictions and I would follow that discourse religiously. Eventually, in middle school, my mom would print Oscar ballots and we'd have a competition to see who could predict the winners. This is a tradition we carry to this day. I don't mean to brag, but I don't think I've ever lost Braden work. Uh, as a closeted queer Mormon kid, I remember quietly rooting for Brokeback Mountain to win, even as people at our church Oscar ceremony day spoke about how it was a sign of the end of times that Brokeback even existed. Now I'm no longer Mormon. Hell out and proud and get to listen to Kick-Ass Oscar podcast like this one. Brayden, you are too sweet. I love that. This is wonderful. Uh, you were right about Brokeback Mountain. That's right. Uh, the sign of the end of times was uh, <laughs> to come with other best picture. Well, not other best picture winners, but, uh, you know, certain best picture winners. Yes. Yeah. Um, thank you for bringing us this. Thank we you, love Brayden. hearing the great. story of you and your mom as well. Yeah. Because, listen, who are we as gay people to not love our mother? Brayden, one of these years, let your mom win the Oscar pool. Just like, just, just I mean, just let just let your mom win just one time. One time. One time. Give her the W. Give her the, yeah, give her the dub. Just once. <laughs> you can still know in your head that, like, yeah, I would have got that. But just, 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 just one time. All right. Um, thank you. Or you can be like me and just be really petulant about not, of trying to put the energy out into the universe that the obvious thing that's going to happen is not going to be the thing that happens, but. Okay. In the span oh. of one... No, because last night there was the tweet going around that the Oscar Oppenheimer crew celebrated with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, that's when you I were like, well... to the group chat, and I over. was like, it's over. It's over. <laughs> I mean... Oppenheimer is winning. I will say, you know what's funny? Because, and I've said this for the last few years, I said it with the CODA year and the Everything Everywhere All at Once year, and I think I might have even mentioned this sort of in, sort of holistically earlier this season, that... In recent years, Oscar voters tend to want to be on the team of the movie that they vote for. They want to be part of the fun. They want to be part of the crowd. They're all, what a loving group of, you know, cast members and whatever. And I remember thinking, like, that's going to be a little bit hard of a, a little bit of a hard sell for Oppenheimer. And yet, if you watch the Golden Globes, they kind of pulled it off. They all seem like this, like, wonderful creative family who all seem to really love each other and at least like loved working with each other creatively and i'm like that's kind of just all you need they 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 didn't seem very stiff they didn't seem you know that's sort of the the worry with the sort of like the the um you know impressive biopic about history that you'd seem a little stiff but like nolan has seemed his most sort of personable in this award season. If you saw, if you got a, a chance to see his acceptance speech at the New York Film Critics Circle, he was like really charming. And, you know, his, his, uh, his wife uh, and producing partner has, you know, you get the, you get a little more of a familial sense with Oppenheimer this year. So I think that's going to be uh, probably necessary. <laughs> I was going to say it, it at least helps to stave off the idea of like, 
aren't we done with this Oppenheimer thing already? Can't we choose something else? I'm a little bored, yada, yada, yada. So, um, good for Oppenheimer. I was going to also say, we've recorded episodes back-to-back this weekend. So we recorded our uh, Eight Women episode just yesterday. And in the span of 24 hours, we've gone from me being like, oh, this Francis Fisher thing is going to happen for Anjanou Ellis. And now I am all the more certain that it's going to happen for Origin and Best, Best Picture. Picture. Yeah. As this episode is dropping, if you're someone who listens to episodes right when they drop, Oscar nominations are Oscar tomorrow. Oscar nominations will be tomorrow. Yeah. So let us be on the record right here that we think, both of us think, that Origin Origin's is getting, getting a Best, Best Picture, Picture nomination. nomination. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting that number 10 slot. This is very exciting. I think it's happening. Yeah. All right. Because, I mean, you look at PGA and Maestro got in there. All of the gas is kind of out of Maestro that I think Maestro is on a downward You think trajectory. Maestro's the one to fall. Okay. I think Maestro's the one to fall. Okay. All right. Interesting. Which one do you think is going to fall? I think it's going to be something. I think it could be like Anatomy of a Fall. I don't know. No, I think Anatomy of a Fall is, I mean, like, Anatomy of a Fall is going to get that screenplay Oscar. Maybe. It's winning original screenplay. Well, it could be Zone of Interest, although I think Zone of Interest is is more and more uh, ensconced every day, but it could be Zone of Interest. It could be American uh, Fiction, and that would be a bummer for me. As much as I don't think... What? could be American Fiction, and that would be a bummer, I think, if that was the case. I mean, I think the the two most likely to fall out are Zone of Interest and Maestro. Maestro, yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and I personally cannot wait. Um, uh, check back in with us next week. It'll be the annual uh, class of Oscar class episode. It'll be class of 2023. Oh my god! I feel like we should maybe mix it up a little bit. Maybe come up with some new categories. I think we should. Let's, let's have a little. Let's have a little sesh. Let's have a little brainstorming sesh at some point. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. All right. Now that you now we've let the listeners in on our process. Um. Uh, let's talk about under the Tuscan side. <laughs> be careful. Some listeners want to be like let entirely in on the process. No, you don't. They want spreadsheets. They want nope. they want to know the ins and outs of how we do things. And it's like, listen, you would probably respect us way less. <laughs> <laughs> you in on those things if you respect us at all. Fair, fair, uh, and true. Um, yeah. Under the Tuscan side. Under the Tuscan side. Once again, thank you, Braden. What a delight. What a delight. Um. Like I said, so we used to be a proper country that would visit other countries. <laughs> we used to have movies like this. And we now... used to have once a year. We used to have a movie about a woman whose marriage has ended in some way or another. Either she's a widow, or she got dumped, or or something. I feel like if I had had more time to really dedicate to this, I would have come up with like a top ten woman just got divorced and you know uh unexpectedly too. she like, goes forward to feel the rain on her skin kind of yes yeah exactly yeah. um oh man natasha bedingfield would have been it's kind of okay here's what i will say under the tuscan sun is a movie that is made for about 10 familiar needle drops and you don't get any and i think which it's, is why it's better I think that's true, and I like the score. Christoph Beck does the score. Christoph Beck, I will always, of course, appreciate because he was the Buffy Vampire Slayer composer. Um, I would support a Natasha Bedingfield titular song called Under the Tuscan Sun, where it's like, 
the end of the chorus is under the Tuscan sun. Oh, yeah, I will be having fun under the Tuscan sun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, scream singing the words under the Tuscan sun. Here's what I will propose: is you know how sometimes movies will release like a black and white cut, like Nightmare Alley and The Mist and stuff like that. Parasite did it. Yes. I would propose an, uh, movies like Under the Tuscan Sun do a needle drop cut. Natasha Bedingfield edit? Just like, just, not just Natasha, but like, that is, give me, give me KT Tunstall, give me Vanessa Carlton, give me Michelle Branch, just like needle drop, like, this is the needle drop cut. This is the one where, and conversely, movies that are obnoxiously too needle droppy should have a original score cut. And then, um, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I I like this idea. Thank I you. could get behind this idea. We should maybe uh in engineer this idea somehow. Yes. Once this is our big Hollywood the age adventure. of like the 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 shining as an uplifting comedy trailer on YouTube. Oh, we yes, could shining. Like that. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Uh however, I think Under the Tuscan Sun is like just too early for that type of needle drop like as sure. a thing. Sure. Because topical, I do think to a certain degree this was pioneered by Shonda Rhimes and Grey's Anatomy. But yes, you're not wrong, but also I'm thinking of like The Devil Wears Prada, which had like you know, suddenly I see. But it would be another Vogue three years and, later. Right, 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 right. Yes. Um, There's also just an era of like female, a semi anonymous female singer who just like yeah. makes me mu- like a lot of that music would be in like Targets and Gaps and such, like the KT Tunstalls, the yep, yep. Anna Nalix, the etc. Uh, I was talking with a friend and former guest, uh, Kevin O'Keefe. Uh, I can't remember what in what context this was, but um, it was somebody who was a writer on a song or something like that, and it turned out to be, oh god, now I'm forgetting her name, but the girl who did the "I'm a Girl on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown" song from the first season of Project Runway, remember? <laughs> and it was uh, Sarah Hudson. Sarah Hudson. Um, and I was like, and Kevin and I were both like freaking out. It was just like, oh my god, Sarah Hudson is still doing stuff. Um. But that, like, that kind of, um, that kind of thing. But I love, I love the idea of a, a needle drop cut. You mentioned Shonda Rhimes, though, and of course, one of my notes that I wrote down was, oh my god, uh, Christina Yang and Addison Montgomery are a lesbian couple in this movie. And, like, how wonderful. Um, Addison would have Joe, never left Joe, five minutes for Christina you to go off way. on Grey's Anatomy. I think I've cut the cord finally, unfortunately, after... Uh, I can't believe there's people that are still hanging on. I, I can't. can't believe... I can. Because sometimes you're just like, you're in it. And sometimes it's just like, well, these are my stories. You know what I mean? And Yeah, 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 yeah. It basically has gone from primetime prestige to full-on primetime soap opera. Like, true, yeah. in the true sense of what a soap opera Even when it was considered it prestige, it was pretty soapy. I the thing about Grey's Anatomy is I will I will stick up for it in a way that like it did a very good job of replenishing its cast every few years with new cast members that you cared about while still having that core of like Meredith and Bailey and and um 
who the hell else was still there, the chief, all of them. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily that like Meredith's gone now, so I can't really keep up with it. Like I can't really stick with it, but, um, it is a little bit of a ship of Theseus thing where it's just like, at some point, like, is this Grey's Anatomy anymore? But also I think it's just like, I finally had reached, I think the pandemic season kind of broke me and it was hard to reassemble the pieces. The pandemic season was so hard to watch. It was so like anxiety producing, panic attack producing, like really sort of like required you to sit in that trauma that you just wanted to be past. And it was the responsible. Almost no television show has done the pandemic well. I think the only one that I've seen that has done the pandemic well was Pete Valley. Everything else has been like, this isn't as thoughtful as you think it is. Was what show? Maybe I also don't want to do it. Pea Valley. Oh, Pea Valley. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Pea Valley did the pandemic fantastically. Um, I think on some level it was responsible. It was the responsible thing to do. You're doing a show about a hospital. You can't just pretend that the pandemic doesn't exist because it feels callous or or cowardly. Um, and yet it just wasn't what I needed at that time. And so. I think I'm past Grey's Anatomy. I might end up doing a a rewatch at some point, or at least like dip in and like watch an old season or something like that. Um, that was a show that Grey's was Anatomy though hits harder than most shit. Like peak Grey's Anatomy goes hard. The whole yeah. like Denny saga. I feel like that has brought us all, brought so many of us together. Uh, yeah, in ways. That destroyed us and restored us. My Denny saga was the episode where the gunman is in the hospital and um, making Meredith do surgery at gunpoint after he shot Derek. And oh, what a tremendous, what a tremendous. Anyway, um, but there's if you, there is a, a very real thing where for almost all of those cast members, if you were on Grey's Anatomy, um, you have a little place in my heart. And so watching Sandra O oh and Kate Walsh in this as a couple, I was like, oh. As a Herald they're lesbians. Yeah. As a Herald they're lesbians. And I know that like Addison and Addison would never have left Christina the way Kate Walsh's character leaves Sandra O's oh character in this film. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it all. We'll mention it all, as uh, Bethany says. What this movie the only thing this movie is missing, uh, besides a Natasha Bedding field title song is maybe a private practice cast member. Private practice is this much this movie is you talk about um Alan Chuck.travelcore. This movie is private practice core, I think. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Audrey McDonald shows up as a tourist who also oh. decides to uh live in Italy and then become Sandra O's. You talk new about lover. how we used to have one of these movies a year. It is a crime that we never got Audrey McDonald doing a woman gets divorced and finds herself uh, kind of a movie. Oh my god. Okay, we do kind of still have these type of movies. It's just they're not made with the level of skill, care, and consideration Correct. that they used to be. Correct. Now they're just dog shit that looks awful. It's the Julia Roberts George on Clooney Netflix without fanfare. It's the Julia know? Roberts George Clooney movie that um I think we all wanted to be better than it was, and I think we all really tried to, ha- to capture that magic. What was it called? 
Ticket to Paradise. Ticket to Paradise. It bummed everybody out so much that I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to watch this. I watched it. I think I I was really like, no, we're going to recapture the magic. It's going to happen. And <laughs> and it just... I do want to catch up to anyone but you because... People don't a, like it, but keep... it's succeeding. <laughs> so there's that. I think because people want these type of movies. Yeah. Like, yes. And they want them to not look like poorly shot Netflix movies that are basically Lifetime movies just on a bigger, you know, availability. Sure. Yes. Although, well, that's a longer discussion that we don't really need to get into in terms of, like, what looks like a Netflix movie, what doesn't look like a Netflix movie. And uh, sometimes you can look like a Netflix movie and not be on Netflix and... and and vice versa. I mean, we'll we'll talk about this movie in context or in conversation with Something's Gotta Give because yeah. Nancy Myers has talked about one of those things because, you know, she's, as people realize how much her movies have cost mm-hmm. in recent years, you know, people look at that somewhat skeptically and, like, her response has been, yeah, but, you know, it... It's on the screen. It, it It is on the screen, and I think, you know... She's not she pocketing the money. She's people. not, like, going home with, like, you know, uh, I don't know, like uh, spending but because spree. that level of like craftsmanship goes into a movie like hers or a movie like this, which this movie mm-hmm. definitely didn't have a Nancy Myers budget, but it still looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you re- the result is a movie that makes money in perpetuity, like. All Nancy Myers movies, people still watch them. Maybe they don't watch What Women Want as much, but like you could drop What Women Want on Netflix and it's going to show up. I bet you What Women Want plays well. What Women Want used to be on TNT like once a month. You know what I mean? Like right. it would just like that's right. a movie that plays on television. And Under the Tuscan Sun <clears throat> has to be one of those too. Like it, it's weirdly not had a ton of availability and i think it's because this is a touchstone movie so disney owns the rights and like disney's figuring out what to do with their non-ip stuff and where to put it and yeah like why does this movie not live forever on hulu i don't understand um but like this is a movie that i hear brought up often Mm -hmm. so it's like this is something that this is a movie that people do revisit and like it is a comfort watch for a lot of people yeah there's also there's a talented Mr. Ripley origin story to this movie, right? A little bit where um wasn't it something about like Anthony Mangello was traveling to uh Italy and met the author of the book and and that's that ended up god, I'm I'm misremembering the story now. But I remember hearing I thought about you that. were going to say that uh Matt Damon kills Diane Lane and then he's <laughs> a wig and a dress and start sleeping with an italian no man. no i mean in terms of like the the behind the scenes like how this movie got um got made essentially um, i'd never heard that but that's fascinating yeah um wait sorry no, one I'm... of only two movies directed by audrey wells which i find to be a shame also guinevere the sarah Pauli guinevere mm-hmm. movie but because... she's done a lot of screenwriting audrey wells yes um yes. Uh, up in... but clearly she's good at producing this type of movie yeah she wrote, um, uh, let's see. Directing, you know. What's that? Uh, I was like, or di- directing. I don't mean producing as in, like, serving a producing role, but, yeah. like, uh, 
working to create and I should say was by the way unfortunately Audrey Wells did die in 2018 um Oh well that is an absolute shame yeah should have had more movies should have had more movies um but wrote um Shall We Dance and um co-screenwriter on George of the Jungle which is why uh, we get a clip of George of the Jungle in uh this movie <laughs> wrote the script for The Truth About Cats and Dogs um uh, the hate you give came out after, shortly after her death. But she wrote the the screenplay for uh, the George Tillman movie, The Hate You Give. Um, so yeah, she had, I believe, she uh, she had uh, cancer and she died in 2018, unfortunately. Um, but this movie is a good she tribute to her. What a wonderful gift, though. Yes, what a like uh, to have a movie to leave behind as a legacy that people watch. Again and again. And I know people who like really, really love this movie. Shout out to uh our good friend Bobby Finger, who I know loves this movie. So um Yeah. Joe, should we get into Let's a get plot into description? It. Yes. Let. All right. So listeners, we are here, brought to you by Brayden. We are talking about Under the Tuscan Sun, written and directed by Audrey Wells, based on Francis Mayas's memoir, sort of, we think. Yeah. Starring the one and only Diane Lane, Lindsay Duncan, Sandra O, oh, Kate Walsh, with uh, cameos by Dan Pukatinsky and uh, Raul Balva. Movie opened September 26, 2003. Joe, you are charged with doing our 60-second plot description. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm winging this one, so uh, uh, yikes, but we'll see. All right, then your 60-second plot description of Under the Tuscan Sun starts now. So Diane Lane plays a woman named Frances. Her husband was cheating on her, having an affair, and in the divorce, she loses the house to pay uh, as alimony. So she ends up uh, gifted with a gay uh, tour of Italy by her uh, lesbian friend couple. Um, And on the tour, she ends up, by happenstance and serendipity, uh, in a villa that is up for sale. And a pigeon shits on her head, and she ends up buying this villa in um, Cortona, Italy. And then it's a real fixer-upper. And so she hires this crew of Polish immigrants to help her work on the house. And the guy who sold her the house sort of has a crush on her, even though she's married. And she meets Lindsay Duncan, who is a free-spirited woman who said she's was Fellini's muse. And she keeps encouraging Diane Lane to, like, live a little, essentially. And Diane Lane meets some men. And, oh, motherfucker. Um, the guy who she's seeing, who she sort of falls for, ends up, of course, being a womanizer and whatever. And Sandra Oh breaks up with Kate Walsh, and then she's pregnant, and she moves to Italy, too. And she has the baby there, and then the house gets fixed up. And everybody sort of lives together and and has and dines together and loves together and it's a beautiful setting and they have you know a, a life there and that's is, this is better than finding a man even though she does find a man but it's Christopher from Gilmore Girls and I don't trust him so the the end twenty two seconds over All right. yes the movie does end with being like she's gonna fuck this guy she gave a bad review and you know what maybe not him but good for her i you know what he's very handsome it's uh, it's not that character's fault that i have bad he's not gonna be there for a long time Gilmore he's gonna be there for a good time well he's there at christmas when they when they flash forward to christmas and it's christmas dinner and he's there and he's you know they seem to be coupled up so um uh there is that but this is a movie that ends in, at Christmas dinner, so this is uh, officially, technically, a Christmas movie. So uh, put that in your official pipe. Christmas movie under the Tuscan sun. Yes. spread the good gospel. Spread the word. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of like, I guess I could have gotten into, I guess it, the one thing I didn't get into in the plot description is the uh, sort of teenage love story between Pavel, the uh, the youngest of the Polish uh, workers, and what the hell's the girl's name? I don't even know. Um, she basically endorses their union. I don't know why she's telling very, very young people to get married, but you know. Well, the point of that Belle whole scene would grow it, up in about 20 years to go and get an Oscar nomination for directing a motion picture called Cold War. So good for, <laughs> you know, all from Diane Lane's list influence. I like that scene, though, because the point of that scene isn't so much like, I don't know if anybody, if we all, you know, believe in the long term viability of this couple, but like we can all hope for the best. But I think it's more so that just like she claims Pavel and the other sort of people in her life as family. And I think, and I love a movie, I love a chosen family narrative. I know it makes me feel very, very square. Um, but, um, I love it. It's a only square family. if like the movie says the words chosen family. Sure. Of course. Like, yeah. 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 Um, but I like that there's that moment she sort of has that. I also love when people come to realizations in the middle of saying something. And she comes to the realization that, like, yes, this is my family here. These, you know, these people who have been working on my house for a year. This realtor who uh, really my seems to... My employees are my family. This this realtor who seems to really like uh, reminding me that if he didn't have a wife, we'd be... Uh, uh, fucking like crazy god which, i wanted him to get a divorce so they could fuck like, i did want him to get a divorce i felt so bad about that i was like maybe the wife can just like go somewhere else. well and maybe it would be too tropey if like that character was single and like we knew all oh. along it would be leading towards them getting together because the movie is so much more about her and her journey yes than yes finding a man finding a man you know, I think this which movie, I love about this movie. I think this movie is very clever about that because I think as soon as she moves to Italy, you are essentially as a viewer on the lookout for like who's the man, who's the one who she's right. going to end up with. Is it the realtor? Is it the guy at the dinner table who is flirting with her? No, he's married. Is it Marcello who she bumps into on the street while trying to like flee three aggressively flirting Italians? Um, uh, no, he's at a and like I love that the answer to all of these things is like, listen, they're all Italian men, and you know Italian men, they're all married, but they all want to have sex with you anyway. And um, that's sort of, and some of them are nice about it, and some of them are, are creepy about it, and some of them are outright liars. And that's just what you have to deal with when it's Italian men. And then she ends up with an American in Italy. And I don't know what that's supposed to say about things, but you know what? I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not going to worry about it. It's not my problem. And Italians are fine. Italians have a global reputation as, you know, fantastic lovers, and and they're going to be all right. So this is fine. A global reputation that they have maybe uh, perpetuated themselves. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. Justice for the Italian realtor. Justice for the Italian realtor. Who, like, a... a You couldn't have in a lab um, put the exact perfect amount of salt in that salt and pepper hair. Like, it's so... It feels like... You know how sometimes you see chefs oh. place gold leaf on things, and you're like, how do you use those tweezers and and manipulate the gold leaf so precisely? And that's how I imagine people with this guy's hair, just like a little bit of gray, a little bit of gray. 
just a little bit of gray and and that's how he I'm ends just up saying he showed up on screen and i was like i'm going to italy I'm going today. <laughs> ticket booked. going today see that my version of that was the second Lindsay Duncan showed up on screen with feathers in her hat and a and a French vanilla ice rubbing cream a cone duck on her face and, a, and and an ice cream cone that is oh so slightly melting and I'm just like I just want to like can I just be your assistant can I just be your like can I just sort of like just this is a woman who rubs baby ducks on her face you don't want to spend that much time with this woman I do kind of want to just bask in her from time to time maybe Diane maybe Francis has it figured out that like. I run into her once every few days and we we like we hang out for maximum 25 minutes and then we sort of go on our way and maybe that's the perfect you know dosage of Catherine but like I just want to bask in that performance I think Lindsay Duncan is fucking radiant in this in this wonderful movie. in this movie she's totally freaking it too yep. like the scene where she's wearing Something that is conceivably a feather boa bathing suit. Or oh something, my god! And nothing else. What the hell? What would that constitute as? Or was it just a boa intricately covering? When she's getting, when she's the guy is drawing her like one of her French, one of his French girls. Yeah, one of his Italian girls. Yeah. Well, he was Greek, right? That was the whole thing of like his, you know, he's descended from uh, Zeus or whatever. Um, uh, one of the Euro girls. And all you see of this guy. Is his little bum in um in teeny tiny underpants, and I don't think you ever really see his face. It's kind of funny. Um, she's living it. Lindsay Duncan the life. is wonderful in this movie. I love her so much. I gen- and I I am a fan in general. It's funny. The first thing I'd ever seen her in, she's this like great you know English actress or whatever theater um, actress. Yeah, theater actress. Although actually, oh, interesting. She was uh she's born in Scotland. All right. Um, Fabulous. Uh, but anyway, first thing I had ever seen her in was uh, Rome, the HBO uh, uh, mm-hmm. sort of historical sex and blood drama Rome, which she was really tremendous in. But she plays a very kind of um, her character uh, gets done to a lot. Like a lot of bad things happened to poor, I think it's what was her name? Servilia. Um, Servilia, yes. God, I can't believe I still remember that name. Um, and so it's funny that like since then, I see her in a lot of things where she's like incredibly confident or incredibly sort of in this, she's incredibly sort of um uh you know, forthright and sexy and whatever. And then you'll see her in something years later, like about time, and she's just like this sort of, you know, uh uh, witheringly uh, blunt and honest kind of a woman, and everything I see her in, I just find her to be absolutely captivating. I think she's one of my faves, and I will talk about Roger Michelle's. She's the week- everyone's the least favorite thing about Birdman. Well, but that's not her fault. That's and... the character's fault. I don't think that's on her performance. I actually think I'm so happy to see her in that movie that uh-huh. I don't mind that character or sure. the way that she's written. Sure, sure, that sure. I think she totally sells it in a way that makes it not annoying to me, at least. That's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I love her in Roger Michelle's Louis And of course, Louis the Gend, About Time. Um, uh, with, uh, with... Jim Broadbent. I think that's a tremendous movie. That's a movie that ends with, not ends with, but at some point, 
she and Jim Broadbent and Jeff Goldblum just sort of start dancing together. Jeff Goldblum, who plays an animated pork pie hat in that movie, and it, <laughs> um, really good. She's really good in a movie called, um, uh, another Roger Michelle movie called Blackbird that really nobody saw that I saw at Toronto the one year with Susan Sarandon and, um, Kate Winslet. Susan Sarandon plays a woman with a terminal illness who has sort of gathered her family around to, uh, sort of, uh, set things uh before she she shuffles off and Lindsay duncan plays her best friend and it is very good love her love 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 her all right everybody stop your hammering and your um stone removal on the tuscan villa that you are renovating we have to talk Lindsay duncan put some clothes on (laughs) uh we have to talk about uh, Vulture Movie Fantasy League, because as you are listening to this, if you are the kind of person who cannot wait one second to listen to this, uh, then you are probably then you may be listening to this before the Oscar nominations have been announced. Otherwise, you are listening to this after they've been announced. But you are coming to us from the future. We are in the past. Who don't know the Oscar nominations yet? So we are going to talk about the most recent point in flux for the m for g for the um uh, uh movie fantasy league which is the m for g's winners and also the massive list of bafta nominations which i'm looking at my notes that i have when i when i i'm very lo-fi when it comes to updating the scores which is why i have to like triple check myself but like my note page my notebook like this is the page of scores for <laughs> bafta it is just shock fucking full um so in general, the BAFTA nominations were on trend in that they were very friendly to Oppenheimer. Things have really been drifting Oppenheimer's way over the last few weeks. This is sort of the greater trend. It was a the first real kind of uh, uh, disappointing day for Barbie in the award season. Uh, yeah. It's still got some nominations, but uh, 80 total points. For the fantasy league purposes, uh, which is Oppenheimer for point of comparison, got 190. So, um, uh, not a great day for Barbie. Another bad day for May December as May December continues to sort of fade out of the awards conversation. May December, it had a bad day when it didn't make a lot of the BAFTA long list, though. So it right. wasn't going right. to show right. up at BAFTA. That's fair. Um, I think what's interesting points-wise for BAFTA is a lot of the top nomination getters also missed a lot of key nominations that might get you mm-hmm. more points if you drafted those movies. I'm thinking of, you know, Poor Things, Missing the Director nominations, Supporting Actor nominations, also Killers of the Flower Moon, Missing yeah. for Lily Gladstone, and Scorsese. Yeah, Um. Uh. the fact that... All of Us Strangers got a ton of nominations. This is probably the best day for All of Us Strangers in the fantasy league. It got 100 points, all told, um, but missed for Andrew Scott. You know what I mean? So it's one of those yeah. things where it's just like, uh, there are there are some inconsistencies. Killers of the Flower Moon, as you say, like misses a bunch, but does get the picture nomination. So like what, you know, I think that's been my a little bit of a my stopper when it comes to people kind of trying to freak out over Killers of the Flower Moon not showing up. There was a lot of as we saw with um when the May December actors missed out on SAG and everybody's like it's all over and mm-hmm. and we saw a lot of that with with Killers of the Flower Moon and 
I guess it's just going to happen every year that like people will overreact to things and people's memories are very short. Um, and I, think I think Lily Gladstone not getting nominated at BAFTA means about as much as Regina King not getting nominated at SAG that year. It doesn't mean anything. Like I think we still have the winner right here. I think that's true, although I cannot lie. I am now starting to put that category into play a little bit more. I think Emma Stone is looking a little bit stronger than I maybe thought she would. And I think there is a wild card factor to Sandra Huller that I think I think there will be votes spread out a little bit in that category in a way that sure. I wasn't sure about. Um so we'll see how I wouldn't that put goes. it uh, I wouldn't put it outside the realm of possibility that Sandra Huller wins BAFTA. I wouldn't either, actually. I think that's probably a decent... Although Emma Stone has sort of become kind of honorary British lately, um, <laughs> uh, which is fun. And she's the face of poor things more than, like, Yorgos Lanthimos is, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, the supporting categories are interesting in that they speak to a couple of trends that I wanted to mention. Um, I w- In our group chat with Katie, I, I, I sort of uh advanced this notion and and I don't think I got a lot of <laughs> receptiveness but um I don't think the this the story of Saltburn has been told I think we Saltburn's are... getting an Oscar nomination I think I think it is but Listen- I think it could listeners be listeners who are listening after the Oscar, Oscar nominations, nominations yeah uh, I know could be laughing at me but I I think I think it's I think getting especially at least Barbie an Oscar moving out of original screenplay we're going to get a, 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 an interesting original screenplay lineup possibly. i think that's right um i don't think barry keoghan is getting an actor nomination but if it happens i'm not going to be the most surprised i've ever been in my life do you know what i mean because i think that category has a lot of churn to it at the moment so um i am also intrigued by dominic sessa hold showing up in holdovers at this late stage mm-hmm. i feel like it doesn't happen every year but a lot of years Somebody will show up in a late nom- in a late nomination, whether it's like a SAG nomination or a BAFTA nomination, and they hadn't really been considered before, and you're like, huh, that's weird. And then they get the Oscar nomination, and in retrospect, you're like, oh yeah, like their their buzz had been sort of building this whole time. And well, th- and like, uh, isn't it so nice when we agree? Uh, because I'm I'm with you on this too. Yeah. And the holdovers seems to be gaining momentum. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Very much so. I also floated to you earlier this week. I'm like, who is the holdovers voter that ranks it last on their preferential mm-hmm. ballot? I don't know if that voter exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I, who am even like somewhat reserved on my love for the holdovers, wouldn't put it in a likely last place. Right. Um. So I don't know. I I, eh, I don't know who that voter is, but yeah, the holder versus sitting pretty, and of I, course, you know, late listeners could uh, be laughing at us imminently. Well, but I'm just saying, like we're we're gonna throw that out there. I think that's got a better chance than say, tell you in past lives, which was also sort of a surprise late mm-hmm. stage nominee, um, for or at the Baftas, um. I'm trying to look sort of a little bit d- further down the it's interesting Cord Jefferson getting the adapted screenplay nomination for American fiction it was its only BAFTA nomination 
which I think people are taking as a sign of weakness. But I think knowing the BAFTAs uh, as you do, which sometimes when movies are very American and also, to be very frank, like uh, feature Black American talent, they don't translate as well with BAFTA for The simple stat of reasons. the BAFTAs have never nominated Denzel Washington. Right. Right. So I think getting the adapted screenplay nomination weirdly shows how strong American fiction really is. I'm still anticipating a really good showing for it at the Oscars. Um, again, listeners, uh, you're judging me uh, by my success or failure as we speak. <laughs> I think the documentary field is starting to firm up in that it feels like we have a decent handle on maybe four of the five in that American Symphony, 20 Days in Mariupol, Beyond Utopia, and the Michael J. Fox movie seem to be showing up kind of everywhere. So Yes. Yeah. Um and same with I'm animated film. Because I didn't think the Michael J. Fox documentary was very good. But uh, I I wonder if that's maybe the weakest of those four, because to me it feels the most like, is this a TV thing or was this theatrical? But I get that. Who knows what the documentary branch will I think, think the documentary branch is probably the most willing to overlook something like that. Also, the fact that like Davis Guggenheim is a yes. sort of major figure in that in that world. Um animated feature feels like we also have like a strong core of Boy and the Heron, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, Elemental, and then Maybe a couple wild cards there. Super Mario Brothers, I guess, if I'm being uh, pessimistic, although I still, you know, I'm maybe holding out hope that that the voters come to their senses. The odds do not stand that an Illumination movie will get an Oscar nomination. It's been showing up a lot of places, though, unfortunately. It has. It has. Um, anyway, so um, uh, in terms of just like points boosts, I think even something like uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which everybody sort of took to uh having a really disappointing day had 110 fantasy points you know what i mean it was the exact same number of points as anatomy of a fall you know what i mean so your top 3 points getters were oppenheimer with 190 poor things with 140 which is again poor things missed out on a director nomination and it still got that you know mm-hmm. what i mean um and then holdovers with 130 um one other thing I wanted to mention is in the crafts categories Napoleon pulled in four nominations for 40 points in the um in the fantasy league which I wonder if that has a is a bellwether for it getting two to four Oscar nominations. Um, I think Napoleon will probably be an Oscar nominee. It, it's sort of holding I the banner a- for big fighty battle sound uh you know uh maybe even <laughs> editing would be a stretch but like there there visual effects is so weak that yeah. i think the exploding horses you know <laughs> sure. gotta have an exploding horse somewhere on your oscar ballot that's what i always say um yeah i think that and society of the snow are the two movies in the crafts categories that i'm interested to see where they sort of disperse uh nominations there so i've kind of landed on society of the snow is topping out at like maybe three i think the people who were i think three would be good for society of the snow though you know what i mean i think if society of the snow is a three-time oscar nominee i think that's a good outcome for that movie i also think that it could like get two to three nominations without showing up an international feature i think that's also things like makeup etc 
Sorry, I had to take a big swig of my water. <laughs> if I don't okay. remember to edit that out, just know that like the realism and Joe is dramatically and having water and I'm having <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's Here's the stats oh, I want to throw out. Oh, yes. Throw a stat. Uh, ahead of the Oscar nominations, now that we have all of the major precursor nominations on there, precur- the major precursors being BAFTA, SAG, Golden Globe. PGA, uh, DGA. Yeah. PGA, DGA, obviously. Not the not <laughs> for the stat that I'm going to give. And oh. then also Indie Spirit, if they're eligible. Mm-hmm. These are the performances that have landed. Oh, yeah. All of the major precursors. Everywhere they can, yeah. Dave I Enjoy Randolph, Danielle Brooks, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Robert De Niro, which I think people aren't realizing that he has hit everywhere because mm-hmm. people think that he's weak for I don't think some reason. Weak. And again, 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 caveat, caveat, ooh, we, you could all be laughing at us right now. Yeah. Ryan Gosling, Paul Giamatti, Killian Murphy, Coleman Domingo, Bradley Cooper... Emma Stone, Margot Robbie, Carrie Mulligan. Of that list, because we have seen it time and again that people will get every precursor and then miss. It's not it's not exactly unheard of for that to happen. Of that list, who do you think is the most likely to get the the big surprise snub? You we've had a lot of conversation about Carrie Mulligan and my feelings about uh Carrie Mulligan in this race this week. Yeah. I'm still somewhat inclined to guess her because this actress, there's so race. much going on. Yes. There's so much going on. And I think that that performance is fairly understated yeah. as much as that campaign has tried to. And like they, she has first billing in the movie. Like as much as that, I don't know how much that's elevated her or not. But I, I, I think given the mm-hmm. amount of things that could happen, I'm inclined to say Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Who in that list would you maybe? I mean, down that listeners are. It surprised me to see that Danielle Brooks had hit everything because I have thought of her as sort of like hanging on uh, in this race, and I'm because of the movie. Because of the movie, I think she's the best thing in the movie, and I love her, and I really would love her to get nominated. Um, But I look at that category, and I see. Randolph is solid. Blunt is solid. I think Julianne Moore, even though she missed BAFTA, is pretty solid. And she Julianne missed BAFTA Moore's and SAG. What's that? Yes. Julianne Moore is not on No, this. I just in, in terms of like who's oh, going to end uh, up in of supporting that, actress, of that race, right, right? Of that particular race. I think Sandra Huller is looking more and more like a threat. And in all, supporting as well. In supporting for Zone of Interest. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well now we're into like one slot for, you know, <laughs> Jodie Foster or, uh, or uh, Danielle Brooks or perhaps Rosamund Pike. You know what I mean? You know, who knows? So. I think Danielle Brooks is probably safe. I hope so. I hope so. It's just because of how much she's been talked about. And like, I do think like that campaign, as far as the cast is concerned, did. Sure well enough that like someone's getting a vote there yeah i hope so i hope so Um, i also just need this is independent of your question i need (laughs) one person from the all of us strangers cast to be nominated i i I want it to be andrew scott most definitely but like as long as it's somebody i will be happy even if it's claire foy and you know i have like complicated thoughts about claire foy but 
there has to be a comparison point too. And like, I hate the way that sometimes people trot out certain stats and comparisons because it's like, well, you, you reverse engineered that stat Uh in a way, Uh but like there has to be a comparison point for Andrew Scott getting nominated. But you know, when you see him not getting nominated certain places where it's like, that would have been his shot to get nominated. Like that doesn't, you know, it's a bummer. I think Andrew Scott and Natalie Portman are going to be the people that I'm going to be talking about for the next 20 years being like, I can't believe they didn't get nominated for those performances. I thought they right. were so good. Um, you know, were they the each other's variety actors on actors or am I am I mm-hmm. mistaken? Hold on. I don't think so. Hold on. Um Yeah. Andrew Scott no, it was Andrew Scott and Greta Lee. It was Natalie Portman and... Was that Paul Meskel this year? Sure, because what would it have been Portman last oh, year? Oh, last year, right. Good call. Yes. Um, yeah, so it was Portman and Paul Meskel. So I was, I was, I was uh, emotionally correct. <laughs> Oh my god, I can't get to stop playing. Anyway, um, if you picked up Natalie Portman's voice on my uh, headphones, that's why. Um, anyway, anyway, I am currently fourth place in the podcast league. Are you? I am. Katie Rich is second. I think you're looking at the last uh, the last score update. Oh, I am- is there still another update? Cut that out. No, no, no. I'm sure I still did well because like BAFTA alone, my ballot. What I'm saying is, I think the last time I checked, you were in first place. Diva! But that's just before the Oscar nominations. And I don't know whether that's going to, who knows whether that's going to push you higher or lower. But last I looked in the newest update. I will be so annoying on this, on these updates. I I do, I do dread it. In uh, in a not insignificant way, if you were to finish <laughs> first, uh, just because of the of the bragging, the year long, anytime we would disagree. Katie Rich, by the way, last I checked before the Oscar nominations, was in third. So, um, uh, very competitive. But the just anytime we would disagree, and you would say, "Don't forget." I did win the Vulture Movie Fantasy League podcast. For <laughs> I think it's unlikely that I will be in first place. What do you um, think? Considering it, what, what my considering what my league is, I think it, that's unlikely. I think I benefited from some recent stuff happening. What's your weak? What's your weak spot? What's your Achilles heel in your lineup? Priscilla. Yeah. I have Priscilla on yeah. my league, and it's yeah, yeah. Taste of Things is mine. Um, Taste of Things in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where I'm like, I took a chance, I took a shot, and it hasn't paid off. So whatever. <laughs> All right, I just did also want to say the um, AARP Movies for Grownups Awards quite unceremoniously, literally unceremoniously, truly, uh, just like announced their winners via press release because apparently they're not having a uh, a televised awards ceremony or award ceremony of any kind. I agree. Listen, if you needed some place to have it, we're right here. We have a platform. We would happily host. We would happily host. I feel like we would go as well in that room as Joe Coy would, but, you know. <laughs> how, first of all, how dare you? We would do so much better. Um, 
But anyway, so the winners were very Emphrogies in a way, where if you looked at the nominees and you were like, LOL, Annette Benning and Nyad, LOL, Jodie Foster and Nyad, joke's on you, motherfucker, they both won. Um, oh yeah, they, they were always going to win. As did Coleman Domingo for Rustin, as did Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, the sort of funnier ones for me, Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig winning for Best Screenwriter for Barbie, which I don't the know. The thing if that you, Barbie could have won. I don't know if you remember the first time you ever got a cold mailer from AARP, which <laughs> just announced- I still haven't. Ooh. Birds, birds, <laughs> double birds, right in the screen for you. Um, the first time I ever did, I was, I might not have been 30 yet. I might have been like just around 30. And I got a AARP mailer. And I also got, this is when I was um, uh, living in uh, Park Slope with my friend Mark. And one of us, and I think it was me, got a cold mailer. It might have just been like two resident, right? But it was like, Purchase your own funeral plot. And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> uh, on the eve of me turning 30, how dare you? Um, they but anyway, so I thought it, that was what I thought was. of when they, I saw it. They were like, this bitch needs his own. He needs a, he needs a gravesite. That's already. sort of what I thought of when I saw Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig winning the AARP award for Barbie. When they're just like, hey, we're young. Leave us alone. He literally made a movie called While We're Young. That's true. Her her more her more specifically, I'm just like, you know, let's let's not be ushering Greta into the AARP demo quite so soon. Um, what were your thoughts on the M4G's winners where Killers of the Flower Moon took Best Picture and Nolan for Oppenheimer took Best Director? My thoughts are exclusive to bring back a live show. Yes. Bring back the categories that you have axed. And, and you know what? Go crazy. This needs to be old people MTV movie awards. Not, I don't want to say old people like pejorative, but like no. that's what it needs to be. Yes, I agree. Who should be like the the um every year is just sort of there in the audience. The uh the Who is omnipresent... the Jack Nicholson of the M for G's? Sure. Yeah. Is it Judy? Is it Judy Dench so long as she can uh Still, still see no, the stage. Let her, let her have a relaxing life. Uh, yeah, it should be, it should be Lois Smith. Oh yes, Lois, come join us. Yeah, my goodness, it should be Imelda Staunton, Diane Ladd, Diane Ladd, her nominee Leslie Uggams. No, what would have been perfect is if Leslie Uggams won for supporting actress for 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 American, uh, for American Fiction. Yes, absolutely, I agree. Although I do love that Jody won for Nyad, which is a very AARP nomination in that it's like, not only is she uh, uh, a lady of a certain age, but both her and Benning is they're active, right? It's I'm sure there's so many things in AARP they magazine about sunglasses. like staying active past 60 or whatever. And uh, God bless. We love it. All right. Um Movie Fantasy League, as you are listening to this, uh, the Oscar points will probably be in there. Uh, it's a whole new ball game. Then it's a matter of uh, a race to the finish line for the Oscars. But the Oscar nominations will be a massive influx of points. So it will. Uh, we'll see how much it changes the game. Right now, we have this logjam of seven identical rosters that are at the top of 
the the uh, the chart right now. Uh, a, a, a logjam that concludes two from the All of Us Garys League. So shout out to Pigeon Doctor and Bob Two for um for holding it down for the Garys. We we uh, we shout you out. And Theresa May December, who was only a few points behind in eighth place. Um, oh, sorry. It's also it's Pigeon Doctor, it's Bob Two, and it's Thank the Pig. All three of you are uh, are uh, Gary's members. Then we have a couple of people from the Little Gold Men League, uh, Atomic Violet and Telly Hop. We have someone from the Blankies League, uh, Dick Bainman's Bongos, and someone from a league called Asteroid City Council. That is Asteroid City Director of Sanitation, and you know we love Asteroid City. So um, uh, that is currently the logjam. We'll see if the Oscar nominations bust that up at all. Um, if not. Y'all better be thinking about what you chose as your tiebreaker answer, and <laughs> um, and we'll see how that goes. Anyway, Oscar nominations just around the corner for us, just behind, uh, just behind you for y'all, and we'll see you on the other side. It is, uh, by the way, vulture.com slash movies dash league if you want to go check out the current scoreboard and listen. Good game. Good gaming, y'all. We should talk about Diane Lane, though, the star of the film. Uh, what a good performance that she gives. Just, like, what a charming, wonderful performance that, in a movie that could be so cloying, mm-hmm. like, we've all seen the not-so-very-good version of this movie, we've seen the annoying version of this movie. Absolutely. But... So perfectly calibrated to try to bring the less than believable moments of this movie into some grounded human emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Just a a very, very charming performance. And, like, I would argue a movie star performance, even though she's, you know, more... She, She doesn't ever really feel on screen to me like someone who is... She feels more actory than starry, for lack of a non-trite way of putting that. I agree. You know, in yeah. in her intentions as a performer. Yep. But it does feel like she's capitalizing on the success of Unfaithful in a way that makes you feel like Hollywood really missed the boat in not casting her in more things. Though, granted, this kind of starts a somewhat rom-com uh role career for her as that's kind of dying out because the next thing she does is must love dogs right which is awful i've never seen um, it is it awful oh god awful oh awful, no awful, awful awful yeah um and it's sad that things kind of quickly dry up it feels like she got a she got one in before these type of movies died out because she really does seem like she would be have such a career if a certain type of movie kept being made. Yeah. And it's like, go into the career of Diane Lane, because we've I, talked yes. about her, but not for a long time we, Yes, since we did Secretariat in, I think, double-digit episodes. Yes, yes. Um. So her first major role is in a film called A Little Romance, directed by George Roy Hill. George Roy Hill is the guy who directed... Um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and The Sting. Um, 
I have not seen that movie. She stars opposite Laurence Olivier in that film. Um, so like just from the beginning, she kind of like she was she was uh sort of an up and coming talent pretty quickly. Um her well, she's in she's in like uh Cattle Annie and Little Britches, which is a movie that I know of as a title, more so than I know of as a movie. She's the titular Little Britches. She is Little Britches, in fact. Um she's in Ladies and Gentlemen, the Fabulous Stains, a movie that I've been meaning to watch forever, which is this sort of like girl punk rock band and it's her and it's laura dern and um oh who the hell else is in it but um have always meant to watch that and i haven't yet so that's on my my uh list of my ever answer your question christine lottie christine lottie is in it fantastic um and then she sort of the thing that i kind of first knew her as was she was um a big deal during Francis Ford Coppola's um, teen drama phase, where he was like adapting all the S.E. Hinton books. She was in The Outsiders. She's in Rumblefish. Um, and then she's also in The Cotton Club, which is Coppola's big sort of mid-80s uh, disaster. She's also in Streets of Fire, another movie that I've been meaning to watch be- ever since I mentioned it on this podcast and everybody have, have having not really heard of it. And everybody was like, You've never heard of Streets of Fire, and it's and how dare you not love these things that we heterosexual men adore? I don't even know if it's necessarily that, but I will say now every time I now that I, you know, read a little bit about it, I do super want to see it because it does seem amazing. Um, it sounds like Diane Lane slays, so I am absolutely on board. Yes, um, early nineties, uh, through most of the nineties, actually, she works pretty regularly. Um, it's not these, like, big, like, critically acclaimed things. She marries, um, Christopher Lambert. They're in a movie called Night Moves together. Um, she's in Chaplin. She's in Indian Summer, which was a movie that was on TV a lot, so I watched that a lot. Um, she's in, uh, the Sylvester Stallone, uh, Judge Dredd, playing a character named Judge Barbara Hershey, which is... You know, I imagine an inside joke of some sort. <laughs> um, she's in Jack, another Francis Ford Coppola movie. She's in she's great in Jack. Uh, Murder at sixteen hundred. She's playing sort of like, <clears throat> excuse me, like the the top build woman in movies where like that character isn't super important. But she's in she's sort of in Murder at sixteen hundred. She seems like the Rene Russo to Wesley Snipes, uh, Clint Eastwood. In if we're talking about a, uh, um. In the line of fire situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big role for her is one we've talked about on this podcast before with our friend Tara Ariano, A uh, Walk on the Moon. Um, Which we both loved. And actually, yes, we talked about that since we talked about Secretariat. And she's so good in that movie. Yep. Yep. She's so good in that movie. She's And I think was critically acclaimed. So I think that put her a little bit on the road towards where she goes in the early 2000s. She's in The Perfect Storm playing um, Wahlberg's wife? Who's, she's somebody's Wahlberg's wife. Wahlberg's wife, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, girlfriend. They're not married in that movie, but yes. She's in The Glass House, that uh, terrible Lily Sobieski thriller, uh, The Glass House, playing a bad guy in that, so that's kind of cool. She's in the Keanu Reeves baseball movie Hardball. Um, and then noted 9-11 cinema hardball. Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, and then comes 2002 and she's in 
uh, this Adrian Lyne uh, sex thriller. Imagine that Adrian Lyne directing a sex thriller, um, Unfaithful, which releases in the spring of summer. I thought. I thought it was like uh, May. It's May, early May. So wasn't it like Star Wars counter programming, or am I remembering that wrong? Maybe O2. Star Wars. Let's see, Star Wars. Yeah, O two. Well, yeah, but um, when did Episode two? Star Wars episode two. Attack of the Clones released in the United States on May 16th. So it was the week before uh, Attack of the Clones. Um, but it was, uh, it was a hit. She is um, tremendous. Tremendous in it. But she's she's acclaimed. But in that way where it's just like, well, it's a spring movie. Of course, 2002, notoriously the back-ended of all back-end years, where all the big movies came out in December. All the Best Picture nominees were were from December. And so she was there kind of fighting the good fight for, like, remember, there were things that happened this year that were good before the end of the year. And there were a lot of people, I remember some very specifically, who were adamant that Diane Lane will not be nominated for Best Actress it's too, you know, outside of the the purview of the the Oscar voters. Adrian Lyon is no longer, you know, uh, highbrow. And um, even though she got the National Society of Film Critics and New York Film Critics uh, Best Actress list, even though she was nominated for the Golden Globe, there were people who were 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 staked their reputation on the fact that Diane Lane's not going to get nominated for Unfaithful, and of course she did. Um, uh, Who lot. would have been like sixth or seventh place in that race? Because we talk well, about Meryl. that best actress lineup all the time. Yes, Meryl. So the nominees are Nicole Kidman for The Hours, Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven, Renee Zellweger for Chicago, Diane Lane for Unfaithful, and Salma Hayek for Frida. Um, and then Meryl for The Hours was nominated at the Globes uh, in O2. And I think most people sort of put her in that sixth place slot because she was there was a lot of like well she had adaptation that year is she going to get two nominations is she only going to get one might things go awry and she gets none like that kind of a thing i am on the record as saying the she's the best performance in the hours and the hours is maybe my favorite performance of hers um but i am me and insane <laughs> i agree with you that that is, she's the best performance in that movie. I also think because she was nominated for adaptation that year, that people sort of like felt less bad about it too, where they were just like, listen, like we love Meryl. We think Meryl's really good in that movie, but like it would, it's better that like Diane Lane is getting her first Oscar nomination and Salma Hayek is getting her first Oscar nomination. I can't disagree with that. Um, so th- such is my magnanimousness, magnanimity, <laughs> magnanimity, magnanimity, uh, anemone. such is my anemone that, um, such is my magnanimity that I can say that Meryl is the best performance in the hours and, and, and it's my favorite performance of hers. And even I can say, let the wealth be spread. So. There you go. So we can all be <laughs> well, a little because, more generous, is what I can say. Follow my well, example. Well, the thing about it, that nomination for Diane Lane, yes, it was a spring performance, so there's a slight uphill climb there. 
even with, you know, critics groups going to bat for her performance in this year. And I think they were very smart to do it because I think it would have been infinitely harder for her to get that nomination without National Society in New York. And like, yeah, there's this thing of like, well, do critics groups matter matter all that much? And it's like, no, unless they do. Right. (laughs) right and you know they vote for diane lane and yes it matters um and i would think most people who are in critics groups sort of like to like don't want to like would say oh no we don't matter we're you know whatever they want to be self-effacing and they want to be sort of you know um uh you know whatever but I think you're right. I think they do and they can, and I think they know it. I think they know that there is a way that they can resurface a performance that needs to be resurfaced. Like it's, it's the attention economy. I say that all the time. It's like, Oh, the golden globes. Like, why do we care about the golden globes? The Hollywood foreign press aren't anyone, you know, there's not opinions that, that need to matter. And like, all of that is true. And yet, it's all the attention economy. All it is is reminding people who actually have a vote that this is somebody who you should consider. That's why, like, I mean, mm-hmm. for as ridiculous as Melissa Leo was, consider kind of is the opposite word. All it means is you have a limited amount of attention that is uh, that these awards voters have to wield. And you want to make sure that the worthiest people occupy that attention at the right time of year. And that is what critics groups are for. That is what for your consideration ads are for. That's what all of this is for. And ultimately you want it to be in service of movies and performances that are extraordinary. And uh, Diane Lane in unfaithful was extraordinary. So um, we've talked a lot about the subway scene oh, where she basically goes through the gamut of emotions of after the first time that she's had sex with Olivier Martinez. She sort of has flashes. She sort of is flashing back to particular moments of their encounter. And it's just... There's disbelief. There's guilt. She there's laughs. She cries. reverberations she's... of horniness. Yeah. There's... Uh, and it's incredible. It's, it's an incredible, incredible scene. It's, you know, you it's talk the about... type of thing that you feel like you can tell what it reads on the page and you think the moment sells itself, but it really doesn't. No. It requires an actor to really be vulnerable mm-hmm. on screen in that way and really tell through minute physical expression what is going through their head. Yep. And that is an impossible task. Yep. And I hate to reduce a performance down to one scene. Because, like, her whole performance in that movie is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, like, that one scene is, like, uh, a feat of magic. Yeah. You know, like. I think since then, so Under the Tuscan Sun is her direct follow-up. This is the movie that is released the next year. It's released, you know, a matter of months after the 2002 Oscars. Um, and it's a wonderful movie, but it is also very much several orders of magnitude lighter than unfaithful to put it mildly. And so I think sometimes you, you want to see you, I'm sort of saying a universal you here, um, the industry, the, the culture wants to see actors and actresses capitalize on their Oscar nomination by sort of like moving more forward into that direction 
moving towards whatever the next big, you know, sort of uh, awards worthy, dramatic, whatever. And Diane sort of went towards romantic comedies and sort of went back towards the roles. And again, you're, you only get the roles that you're offered and there's only we we you know the roles available for women are are not as plentiful unfortunately and certainly weren't in the 2000s um, well after under the tuscan sun we pretty much revert back to where she was prior right. to unfaithful and a walk on the moon where it's we as a culture can all agree that Diane Lane deserves better than this must um, love dogs hollywood land uh, Secretary Knights and Rodanthe DC Universe, right? Um, and there's yet. one fun movie that like isn't an incredible movie, but there it, it is almost like you know DVDs that have two movies on them. Uh-huh. It should go with Under the Tuscan Sun, and that's uh, Eleanor Coppola's Paris Can Wait. I've never seen it. Is, is it really good? It's I wouldn't say really good, but it is fun, and she is very fun. Yeah. Uh. And uh, I would say the final note of the movie is maybe worth seeing the movie for. Okay. Um, I love that. She plays the wife of Liam Neeson's character in the Mark Felt movie. She plays uh, Martha Kent in the uh, Zack Snyder uh, Superman slash Justice League movies. Um, is she the... Is she, who is she in Tully? She's in Tully? Says it. I don't think she's in Tully. Maybe she's just a voice. Hold on. That's a that's a Wikipedia fuck up. Yeah, they're. I don't know who they. Yeah, because it's not on her IMDb. Yeah, that's weird. Wikipedia, figure your shit out. Um, she's in For Serenity, as we have mentioned. She stands in front of an open window and um waits for Matthew McConaughey to come have sex with her. That's right. And listen, there are worse ways to live. Um, Diane. She was also in that Kevin Costner movie that came out during the pandemic, where they hated that movie. They go and try to get their grandson back. Right, that's the whole point of that movie. I've never seen it. Yes, yeah, you hated yes. it. I hated it. I remember people thinking she was very good in it, though. I remember people like Leslie Manville going huge in that movie. I felt like that movie was beneath pretty much everyone else, even though I'm not a Kevin Costner fan. Uh, yeah, it's shockingly not Taylor Sheridan core, though it is very Taylor Sheridan coded. It's very uh, gender essentialist. Okay, it is, I hate, I hate it. Yeah, hated it, hated. It. I'm, I'm not the audience for that movie. Sure, and that is fine. She's in an upcoming movie about. called Anniversary. Um. From the guy yeah, who this sounds fun, yeah, the guy who directed um that movie Corpus Christi that was nominated for the Oscar a few years ago in foreign language film, um Jan uh Homasa. um it's her and Kyle Chandler. They play the parents of a family who are kind of torn apart uh because of this movement sweeping through the country called the change. So this is sort of like a uh uh speculative uh future thriller cults family movie um a bunch of like really kind of hot up and coming younger actors are in this which makes me think it's going to get a lot of attention so it's 
Madeline Brewer, Zoe Deutsch, Phoebe uh, Dynavor from um, from Bridgerton, and also from that uh, Alden Ehrenreich movie that you didn't like that I still haven't seen. Um, McKenna Grace, and then Daryl McCormick. And I'm into it. I'm into the idea. I don't know if this is going to be like a, it's a Lionsgate movie. I don't know if it's going to be like a big um, awards movie, but like, I'm into it. Like, go off, Diane. I'm, I'm you know, that seems fun. We're always me. rooting for her. Joe, can we talk about uh, Diane Lane's Golden Globe nomination? Uh, yeah, can we? Read off the nominees. She's nominated uh, in Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Truly back in the land of We Used to Be a Country. Uh-huh. Um, Diane Keaton obviously wins for Something's Gotta Give. I love I that speech, by the way. The second place is uh, either Jamie Lee Curtis for Freaky Friday or Scarlett Johansson for Lost in Translation. And then you also have Helen Mirren for Calendar Girls. A movie that we should do on this podcast at some One point. One billion percent. We've never, I've no, never seen it, so, so I would like an excuse to see it. People kind of forget how acclaimed Jamie Lee Curtis was for Freaky Friday, for that Freaky Friday remake. Um, we're like, people were getting behind her for like an Oscar push. She had to have been somewhere from sixth to tenth. Well, Granted. that was a chaotic best actress year. Yes, 100%, which to me makes me think that she would have been even closer. Like, probably fourth through eighth or ninth was all relatively close to each other. I'm getting out of pen. So the nominees for Best (laughs) Actress at the Oscars that year was Charlize and Monster, Keisha Castle-Hughes in Whale Rider, Naomi Watts in 21 Grams, Diane Keaton in Something's Gotta Give, and Samantha Morton in in america now if you look at the golden globes nominations um no keisha castle hughes no naomi watts which is kind of wild wild, and no uh samantha morton which makes sense because samantha morton really was like a comes like back comes roaring back into the race out of like Mm -hmm. left for dead so that means that all of these people were globe nominees but not oscar nominees so kidman in uh Nicole Kidman in Cold Mountain, Uma Thurman in Kill Bill Volume One, Evan Rachel Wood in Thirteen. Thirteen was like a big deal. Holly Hunter gets the Oscar nomination for that. Mm. Um uh Jamie Lee Curtis for Freaky Fry. Well, uh it when drama also is uh Scarlett Johansson in Girl with a Pearl Earring. It's also Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation, which has been like at this point bounced around between supporting or lead nobody knows where to vote for it so ultimately like it she gets lost the lead in the BAFTA or the supporting BAFTA I forget I can't remember she's nominated in comedy lead at the Globes here so um Kate Blanchett's nominated for Veronica Guerin I don't think that got too close to Oscar but like it's in the conversation um uh Diane Lane nominated for Under the Tuscan Sun as you said and Helen Mirren for Calendar Girls I think those two i think are also um sort of below a line so if we're talking about the race for sixth place i think you've got kidman evan rachel wood scarlett johansson uma thurman in a real scrum for like who would you say was sixth place that year Mm -hmm. right i would probably say scarlett johansson 
But, I mean, she's kind of splitting her own votes, too, so maybe not. I feel like there was, if, I mean, again, this is, you know, 20-year-old memories at this point. I do feel like there was a late surge for Girl with a Pearl Earring for her that, like, you know... That maybe did well with Oscar. How many nominations did it get? Like, four? I'm gonna pull that up. Yeah, pull that up. Um, But in general, it was was a really kind of thrilling year because going into... Oh, and the other thing was, you had Jennifer Connelly for House of Sand and Fog, which was, for as much as that performance didn't really show up on a ton of precursors, Kingsley and Shorya Gadashlu were consistently present throughout that Oscar season. So, like, you can't count out Jennifer Connelly, too. So, I remember the Entertainment Weekly Oscars issue that year. I believe the cover was Nicole Kidman, Jennifer Connelly, and Naomi Watts, like, going into, like, awards season. So, that was the buzz. That's where the, like, you know, the publicity was going to. So, um, it's kind of fascinating. I think Kidman would have been close to number six, Scarjo close to number six. I think there's a real chance Evan Rachel Wood was close. She was SAG I mean? nominated, as was Patricia Clarkson for the station agent. Patricia Clarkson for the station agent's another one. So literally, like what like all of a sudden this list is like ten also rans that, you know, could have conceivably you know, in a there's a world in which they could have gotten Oscar nominated. Certainly uh, Kidman, Connolly, Uma, Clarkson, Evan Rachel Wood, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson into- won the lead BAFTA for Lost in Translation. However, she's also nominated in that category for Girl with a Pearl Earring. Wild. Absolutely wild. wild. And yet, there was never a doubt that Charlize Theron was winning for Monster once that She sort was of- so far ahead. Yeah. And... You know, presumably Diane Keaton was the second place person because she's the only one who really shows up everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, Samantha but- Morton only showed up for um, Critics' Choice, maybe also um, Indie Spirit, and Connolly also showed up in Critics' Choice. But there's also a world in which, like, this is sometimes how it gets with when there's one real, like, way out front front uh, front runner that the other nominations can get kind of weird. And that is why I'm wondering this year with supporting actress with Davine Joy Randolph so far ahead of everybody else. It seems like such a sure thing. She's won everything by this point. There's more consensus though, across the precursors than there would have been in 2003 though. That's fair. That is fair. I would love to see some type of surprise. And I wonder what that would that what what form that would take. What maybe that Sandra Huller getting nominated for Zone of for Interest. Zone of Interest too. Um, I don't know. It doesn't feel like anybody talks about that performance, so I'm not sure if it would be maybe that. But so who are you? Who are you? Who are we thinking? It's it's. Uh, I think Emily Blunt is pretty well ensconced. Yes. for that nomination. That's up. I think. Danielle Brooks is coming on at the exact right time. I think the timing for her is pretty perfect. And I, I'm fairly confident in that. You've got the Jodie Foster, Julianne Moore of it all, which... Mm-hmm. Two lead performances. Essentially, yes. Two, essentially, two co-lead performances by Oscar-winning actresses 
who are incredibly well-respected, and I love both of those performances, and I would like to see them nominated. And then, um, how did it shake out at, was it just, was that, no, Julianne wasn't nominated at SAG, so who was nominated at SAG instead? Um, uh, it was Randolph, Blunt, Foster, Brooks, and... Was it, Pen- it wasn't Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz, it was Penelope Cruz, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't rule out Penelope Cruz getting nominated. I think maybe the left field would be America Ferreira, but I don't mm-hmm. think that's happening at this point. Uh, it, if Color Purple was stronger, I could see Tarashi. Tarashi. Yep, yep. The I think it's left not... field, but it's not going to happen, it would be Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams would be an incredible left field. That would be like the Laura Dern and Wild. Not even, because Laura Dern had Reese Witherspoon as as, you know, something to anchor to, whereas uh, Rachel McAdams doesn't really... Rachel that McAdams, would be I think, would only have LA critics. Yeah. Um, Which is not in... Like, yeah. And then I think I'm not ruling out Rosamund Pike for Saltburn for, to come back into the race. Like, I'm really not. I think Saltburn's sticking around. You know what I mean? And can I say, the absolute 180 I have done on Penelope Cruz since actually seeing the movie... Um, <laughs> Where now I'm like, she's great yes, in the movie. she can get nominated. I think she's phenomenally good in that movie. Like, absolutely transcends One of our greatest living actresses. The the um sort of limitations of being the sort of the grieving mother, the shunted wife. You it know. helps that the movie is largely about that. More so, more so than I think you probably expect the movie to be when you show up to it. Yeah, that it is about the home life of these people, then yeah. rather than the, you know, room room, car room room, fast fast, crash crash. Yeah, there's plenty of that in there, but there I sure think, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another right. left field I would say is maybe Viola Davis for Air. Air is going to show Air. I think. Uh huh. I think. Barbie being deemed adapted by the Academy gave me the certainty that May December is not going to be blanked and will show up in original screenplay. But I do also think it opens the possibility for Air getting an original screenplay nomination. And that would make me so happy because I never want to watch that movie again. And uh, we wouldn't be able to do it. We wouldn't be able to do it. Do you want a hot take? Uh, about the Barbie a- a- adapted screenplay thing, a thing that I am mostly we've talked fine about it several with. times. So I don't know how hot this is going to be for me as the audience, but go for it. I don't think I've given you this take before. This is mostly I'm just like throwing bobs out there because mostly I like I could see the Barbie thing from both angles. So whatever. Um, I think that in terms of an ability to write an original story. I think Greta Gerwig was less constricted by the limitations of having to adapt Barbie than Bradley Cooper was constricted by the limitations of what the Bernstein family would allow for uh, Maestro. <laughs> I think I that's say. probably true of a lot of like officially sanctioned biopics. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, I mean, it the IP in terms of original or adapted, I think, is an existential question for Hollywood, and I think they did the absolute predictable thing by playing it conservatively. I think that's right. I just think, like, if you want to galaxy brain it, the line between what Greta Gerwig had to hew to in terms of 
Barbie as an established character and what anybody making a biopic has to hew to in terms of their subject being an established person is not as bold of a line as you think. Like it's a that's that's a line that is decently thin. That's long yeah. All right. Um back to the 2003 uh, uh Golden Globes, I guess. Where are we going back to? Um, uh we're going back to uh, Under the Tuscan Sun's award run. Uh I've I think it's fun whenever we can discuss the crunchy Glad Media Awards. Where oh yes, so for crunchy. outstanding film wide release, Under the Tuscan Sun is co-nominated with only one movie that beats it, and that is Bend It Like Beckham. Can we think of any other wide release gay movies or movies with gay stuff in O three? Let me pull up. Let me pull up my list of O three movies that I've seen. Um. Some of it is like, well, it's also, you think about, is, I, I hate to use a word like representationally, but like, there's the use finale it. of A Mighty Wind, which I was just bad. about to say, which is transphobic which, and like, bad. Yeah. It, it's such a stain on that movie. It's such a bummer. It's not necessary. Just cut it off. Yeah. Um. All right. Gay representation, queer representation in films from oh three there's just not much there's not much unless you're talking about samwise gamgee and frodo i mean we could have that conversation listen we're ready to have that conversation finally it's 2024 we are finally ready (laughs) to have that conversation surely some of those fish in finding nemo are gay (laughs) i was about to say Surely, of all the two hundred characters in Cold Mountain, just like on a on a numbers <laughs> basis alone, you're gonna find someone. Um, Natalie Portman wields a shotgun in Cold Mountain. I think that's pretty queer coded. You know what was okay? You know what was that year that should have is Camp. Not a wide release though. Oh right, wide release. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Never mind. Redacted. 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 Um, also not wide release was Party Monster that year. Um two, 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 two. also not wide release was Elephant, which had like a weird boys in the shower kind of a thing. Remember there was that Yeah, thing? they they were like, maybe we should kiss someone before we do this. Right. Oh, Elephant's so disturbing. It's a very good movie, but it's so disturbing. Um yeah, I think you're probably uh, in terms of wide release. Yeah, you're you're probably very limited in that regard. So there we go. The bus well, full of gays and under the Tuscan sun count. <laughs> Let's That's talk. Represent. Okay, under the Tuscan sun also got a nomination for contemporary film from the producer from the art directors art Guild. directors guild. Yes. Okay. First of all, speaking of homophobia. Yeah. This category is not won by Something's Gotta Give or Kill Bill. It's won by Mystic River. What in the world what happened? are you talking about? So let's talk. Listen, I know a lot of people hate Mystic River. I am not one of those people. I'm sort of middle in the middle on Mystic River. There are things about it I think are really good, um, including some things that people don't like, like Laura Linney's performance, which I do think is fun. Um, I've that- once in my life criticized Laura Linney. Never will. Did you see? You did because you sent it to me. Uh, Laura Linney presenting Mark Ruffalo with his National Board of Review Award. Yes, yes. My heart and soul. So wonderful. So wonderful. Uh, But no, seriously, when your nominees are Mystic River, K 
Kill Bill Volume 1, Something's Gotta Give, Lost in Translation and Under the Tuscan Sun for Contemporary Production Design. Mystic River. I guess it's that, like, they they populated those sort of, like, row houses with, like, having a wake in in the main room or something. But, like, no, it's ridiculous that it doesn't go to... Kill Bill Volume One. Like they did a really great job of making Southie look awful. Like, I, what are you talking? about? What are we doing? What are we doing here? Um, but like, okay, so let's talk about the art direction and production design in Under the Tuscan Sun because I think filming in Italy takes care of a lot of stuff for you. But this is a movie that pays a lot of detailed attention to the little things about this house, right? The 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 nooks and crannies of it. I think any movie that is this much about interior design is going to have a leg up in terms of like contemporary art direction, contemporary production design. And I think rightly so. Um it's a beautiful home. I love the way that it's sort of like decked out. There's also, you know, the other different, you know, uh, uh places in Italy that she goes the the town square with the you know again this is a lot of this is like you, f- you found your location you know half the back but <laughs> well but also you know the house has to go through a journey too yes. and yeah. all of that is production design you know whether it's props or you know Detrius the actual Right, when they knock down the, the wall and it like it all comes down or whatever uh or uh, like all the like little ins and outs of her bedroom whoever found what whether they built it or they found it that bed frame with the uh icon <laughs> of the virgin mary in the headboard is that's worth a nomination in and of itself like that's fantastic um honey that's going to get you a super host rating on Airbnb uh, and also, we'll be like, on everybody who stays there, we'll Instagram that and be like, look at this shit that is in my bedroom, <laughs> in my Airbnb, in Tuscany. I mean, um, also, we as dum-dums can just assume, well, that's just what Italy looks like, and they just showed up and put a camera Sure, yeah, what do I know? But that's not necessary. we don't necessarily- We don't know. Know that, but I do think that this is a good nomination because of the, like I said, journey that the home has to go through. You know, we love a journey. I like talking about contemporary production design because it's Mm -hmm. something that Oscar does not do well in recognizing, right? And should because even a movie like her, when it got that nomination, people were like, "Cool, a contemporary design movie." It's like, well, actually, it's kind of set in the future. When they were announcing those nominations, did they say, ladies and gentlemen, her? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, her. Um. <laughs> La- ladies and gentlemen, her. Uh. Um, so, yeah. This okay. year, they, the contemporary nominees, I think, all feature uh, movies that would deserve it, but probably won't be Oscar-nominated. Three specifically, and for two movies... I don't like. <laughs> Read them off. Name that. What name them? Well, what name. you did was ridiculous. Name them. Uh, not having. Name uh, well, be quiet. So name it. This year's nominees: Bo is afraid. John. Good Chapter nomination. Bo is afraid is a. Bo is afraid is a great nomination. Good nomination. There's design. a lot going on there. Um, do not like that movie, but like would deserve a production design Oscar nomination. 
Yeah. John Wick Chapter 4, haven't seen. Haven't, haven't seen, seen any of those movies, but I've seen the trailers. Looks like some good design. Yes. Uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Love that train. Sure. Beautiful train. Salt burn. Nothing Beautiful but homes. design. Nothing but design. Yep. Uh, and The Killer. David Fincher's under-discussed The Killer. I like that. I like any nominations for The Killer. That's really fun. Yeah. Um, You look at the winners in this category at the Art Direction uh, Guild throughout the years. Glass Onion won Contemporary uh, last year. No Time to Die. To Five Bloods. Parasite. Crazy Rich Asians. uh, Logan. That kind of thing. I think in general, I rewatched the um, Sandy Powell Oscar speech for acceptance speech for the young Victoria recently. I already have two of these. Um, what's that? Yes, the I, already already, the, I already have two of these. I'm starting to feel a little greedy. But the rest of that speech is she gives a shout out to the people who do costumes for movies that aren't about dead monarchs or uh, glittering uh, uh, fantasy worlds. And essentially she shouts out the the contemporary costume designers because it's a much harder job and i think the same applies to contemporary art direction where it draws less attention to itself it is working within probably more established boundaries you have to create a world that seems familiar rather than being able to create you know you know from the ground up that kind of thing mm-hmm. so um I think in both of those categories, we like to see contemporary recognized as much as possible in the Oscar nominations, which sort of combine all eras and all. They don't separate them out. So um, what do we think? I think, obviously, Barbie is far and away the the art direction uh, production Barbie design, or rather. Poor Things. Barbie and Poor Things, I think, yeah. are going to be... battling head-to-head for both production design and costume design yep um do you have any like hey don't forget this this is you know i i would something like bo was afraid where i would be like yeah like you know production design bo was afraid would serve um let me pull up my ballot i haven't balloted that far down the line yet i just sort of have my uh list of films i think i haven't made a, a well i mean i have voted and stuff lucky marriage is i mean lucky mara is like it's it's lucky that it's actually getting a real release for how you know i hate that lucky mara has become this year's like what year did it come out movie because that like it did get a qualifying release in 2023 so it is a 2023 movie. i know but it's but nobody saw it unless you were at a festival nobody saw it in 2023 you know what i mean it's just like it's all that to know. say, Lucky Mara would deserve a production design nomination. Totally. Asteroid City would deserve both. Um, Asteroid City 100% deserves both production design and costumes. Yes. Um, I know that, like, there were people who didn't, there were people who didn't love the Wonka production design. I am not one of them. I really did love <laughs> that production design and the costumes. I loved all of that. So I would, uh endorse that i think if you want to like throw a a costume uh, design left fielder that um 
I don't even like this movie as much as other people do, but that fucking pussy bow on Megan in the in, <laughs> in the dress maybe deserves a costume design uh, recognition all of its own, and I'm not entirely kidding. A movie I don't love that would deserve a costume design nomination, Priscilla. Priscilla, definitely, yes. Uh, one that I think that deserves both, that it's like, there's a lack of appreciation for contemporary stuff that I think is also the cousin of a lack of appreciation for smaller scale things that nevertheless Mm -hmm. create a world that you feel very dropped into and Mm -hmm. believe. And for something like that, I would say Eileen. I love that idea. I'm going to throw Eileen. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. No, I love that. I love that idea. I like Eileen a little bit less than you, but I still love that idea as a nomination. I'm going to throw one out to you that you're going to not like, and I'm just going to do it anyway. Production design, Skinamarink. <laughs> Is that not just cinematography, though? Well, no, because it's also like objects, like the the sure. the fucking Fisher Price little thing. Like, I know that on some level, it's just like you opened a toy box and just sort of strewn some things over the floor. But I don't think it's that simple. And I think the way that that movie is able to utilize these creepy little, like, kids' toys and knickknacks and whatever is very much direction. But I think you have to, like, those those objects are fall under the purview of art direction. And I think that is very effective. Come upstairs. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! What? Remember like, Skinamarink a year I, ago when everyone was getting real into Skinamarink? Here's the thing about Skinamarink. When I first saw it, I had only seen really positive things, and I was like, I don't know. And then I saw so many negative things, and I was like, well, it's better than that. Like, it, I mean, you cut 20 minutes out of the movie, and it's a perfect... Uh, Watching that movie by myself in my living room in the dark, it's scary. It's like, it's it's unsettling. It unsettles I intentionally, when I watched my, uh, because I I got to see it a little bit in advance, and I intentionally watched it at like 11 o'clock at night in the pitch black with like just a Christmas tree in the background. (laughs) Yeah. God, perfect. That's a perfect, Christmas tree lighting is perfect for that movie. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would also throw in there, um, in terms of like unlikely uh, production design, I think the cabin in the blackening is very well uh, appointed, and and there's a that lot is of... that's a cool call too. Yeah, uh, the blackening for like the first half hour of the movie, I was like, yes, absolutely, but it like it has to plot its, its way out conceit. of it. Like, it has to plot its way out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Anyway, anywho, art direction production. You design. you what? dropped out, so I couldn't I couldn't fully hear you. But the thing that frustrated me about that movie was like it's all about the game, and then at a certain point yeah. in the movie, like the game never gets referenced <laughs> again. Right, right. Yeah, they have to sort of find their way out of that movie, and um, I also think if you're talking about movies that will actually be nominated. I think The Holdovers is a decent chance just because you're talking about 
the seventies aesthetic in that movie is so heavily, you know, um, see, that's the type of thing that I'm like, they don't recognize a certain scale of something, no matter how well it drops you into the world of the movie. And I don't think that that's super likely. It would be cool. But I, I mean, yeah, you only really get you only with only five nominations and you figure Barbie, poor things. Killers of the Flower Moon is incredibly likely. Um, I think Oppenheimer is very likely. Again, I bring up the fact that they built a town in the movie. So, some, so you know, there is, uh, you know, text versus craft uh, happening there. And then you're down to, OK, well, now it's one more slot for everything and anything else so those movies that are doing very well are going to gobble up a lot of Mm -hmm. nominations like that i would uh, you know you asked me recently i forget what episode and maybe it was a patreon episode where uh throw one nomination to literally anything that you want in the morning yeah on oscar nomination morning and i said todd haynes and Truly, number two would be anything for Asteroid City, yes. but maybe it's production design for Asteroid City. I would love that. It's it's so... Uh, we've talked about it before. We don't need to belabor it. It's really bizarre that Wes Anderson isn't just, like, a perennial, like, check-it-off-the-box production design nominee. Like, for all the other things, and sometimes they don't like his stuff, and they usually actually bypass his stuff unless it's Grand Budapest Hotel, in which case they go all the fuck in. Um. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Back anyway, to... I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say about this next week on our Class of 2023 episode. One Joe, million percent, yes. Any last notes on Under the Tuscan Sun? I think I'm bringing out my notebook, and we kind of addressed everything. Dan Bukatinsky is such a bitch. Those grapes do look like they taste purple. You know what? They just do, okay? <laughs> and... um. Oh, the quote that the first time she meets Lindsay Duncan's character... When she's before she's bought the villa, and she says, "Oh, it's a bad idea," and Lindsay Duncan just goes, "Bad idea." Don't she just love those? And then she leaves, and I'm just like, "Badass!" I love her. I love her. <laughs> um, they're watching George of the Jungle, dubbed in Italian. I don't know what George of the Jungle is in Italian. I wish I did. I should have looked that up. Um, it's a wonderful movie. I would like to be there for the. Okay, the montage where she just like becomes an Italian cook. <laughs> Again, fantasy, but also like true fantasy. My fantasy, because I am not a great cook. I can only do the very. They're basic in the thing. middle of a renovation. What the fuck is the functionality of that kitchen? First of all, well, and she pulls out like a Branzino or something. She's like, like poaching pears. Like she's got this like. Good for you, girl. Good for you, girl. But like, maybe start out with like one pasta dish and a salad. I don't know. Like uh, these. <laughs> all of a sudden, this is like a like. 12 dishes are on the table all that she has made on her own um and you know good for you girl um also um it's been 20 years i hope pavel and whoever he is with right now are very happy together maybe it's the guy he was throwing flags with in the th- the flag throwing competition which was so captivating I thought I was I was one of those people throwing flower petals down into the <laughs> town square. This is what I want to do when I go to Italy. I just want to watch flag throwing ceremonies. Flag flag throwing to the to the people on the gay tour. They are throwing flags. Yes. Let's just that's a different that's a different competition. You can throw me too. Yeah. Listen, um, whatever. 
Justice for Diane Lane, period. Always. Uh, Let's get her one more Oscar nomination. Book guys. your stay at Diane Lane Inn and Suites with the code THOB24. <laughs> um, 10% off your first night's stay. What's uh, the thing that they give you when you check in? What's the sort of like, you know how some give you like a chocolate chip cookie or whatever when you like check in or whatever? Like, what does the Diane Lane Inn and Suites give you in, in Tuscany? Um, does a it give DVD you a poached of pair? Love dogs. A DVD of Must <laughs> And um, a feather from Lindsay Duncan's hat. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, that's on your pillow uh, when you check in. It's a feather from Lindsay Duncan's hat. <laughs> and then I guess my last note, speaking of contemporary costume design, uh, would be a worthy contemporary costume design uh, nominee, if only for that tangerine dress. At the end of the movie. The tangerine dress that matches her perfect shade of hair at that moment, where like it really brings out the sort of auburn tones in her hair, is incredible. Also, when she goes to Lindsay Duncan, she's like, I need a white dress. And the next thing you see, she is in the most crisply perfect, like white dress, cast her in a 60s Italian movie, you know, <laughs> just on the costumes in this movie are really, really fantastic. You're absolutely right to shout those out. Well done. Giving the girls what they want. Giving the girls exactly what they want. Exactly. Joe, would you like to move on to the IMDb game? A why not? Uh, the IMDb game is something we do every week. We end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress, and we try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says that they are most known for. If any of those titles are television shows, or voice-only performances, or a non-acting credit, we will mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, then we'll get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. What's happening today? Are you giving or are you guessing first? Well, we just recorded yesterday, and I think I guessed first, so I'll give first this time. Okay. Right? I don't remember what happened yesterday. Were you kidding me? Okay, anyway. Um, you mentioned that uh, the late Audrey Wells directed two feature films in her career, one of which was Under the Tuscan Sun. The other was Guinevere, which was a movie that starred the great Canadian legend Sarah Polly. We have never done an IMDb game on Sarah Polly. Why don't you try? Okay, but this might be difficult because are they all acting roles? They are. For? They are. Wow, not a single directorial effort in her known for? What the fuck are we doing here? I know. Um, go. Go, correct. Her tremendous performance in that <laughs> great film. Go, I love that so much. Adventures of Baron Munchausen? No, not Adventures of Baron Munchausen. No, considering what happened to her on the set of that movie, good. Yeah. Um, go read her memoirs. Uh, ooh, okay, so she doesn't really act much now, so I'm guessing these are all going to be when she is younger. I'm guessing Guinevere is not on there. So what am I going to guess is on there? What, what was the horror movie she was in? It's not like a Wes Craven horror movie, but there is like a popular horror. No, no, no. Sweet Hereafter. Sweet Hereafter. Atta The Sweet Hereafter. She's so good in that. Um, I haven't seen that in a long time. I should watch that. Um, 
that's there. The um, is she in a movie with Michelle Williams? No, that's not what I'm thinking of. Um, oh, this is gonna actually be hard because a lot of her movies that I'm thinking of are like very small indies that are unlikely to show up on an IMDb game. But she is, I think, first build in Guinevere, so I'll just say Guinevere. Not Guinevere, so that's two strikes. Your remaining movies are in 2003 and 2004. Oh, okay. So 2003, the year we're talking about, would have been... Wow, but like... No, 2004, she's not directing yet. Um... 2000 is the 2003 an Oscar nominee? No, neither of these are Oscar nominees. I will say you're on the right track for both of them in 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 oddly idiosyncratic ways. Um so the things that you were mentioning before are not entirely one is, is the Hell Hartley no such thing there? No, not no such thing. I know what you're talking about, but no. Um one of them is a horror movie. One of them is not a Michelle Williams movie, but I think you are mixing up the title of a Michelle Williams movie with the title. Me without of this. you. Me without you is the Michelle Williams yeah. movie. That's her and Anna Friel. So it sounds me like after it. you. Nope. You after me. Nope. Me is in there. Yes. This is. I think she's like contemplating suicide or something, or she's like ill. Uh huh. So it's like the world without me or something. You're. You're. Two two words away. The world away. after me. My life without me is what you're thinking of. My it's life the uh, Isabelle Quachet uh, movie with her yeah. and Scott Speedman and Mark Ruffalo, where she's got and a then terminal the horror illness. movie that I cannot remember. But it it's is like it is this director's best movie. She's not in Splice, is it? She is, but it's not Splice. Splice not is Splice. later. Um. Um. Oh, it's Dawn it's Dawn of the Dead. It's Ooh. Dawn of the Dead. No, Dawn of the Dead is good. That's yeah, a but a real Zack good movie. Snyder show uh, showing up on Sarah Polly's known for when none of her directed movies are on or known for. She's a lead. Ooh. She's first build in that movie. Like she rocks in that movie. She's so good. She does. She does. That is uh, a good movie, but Yeah. Ooh. All right. What's she got for me? All right. So obviously we talked about the Grace Anatomy of it all. Uh, because of the two Grace Anatomy stars in this movie. So, who else could I pull for you but McDreamy himself, Patrick Dempsey? There is one television. Grace Anatomy. Grace Anatomy, correct. Okay. Um, Maid of Honor. Incorrect. No! Oh my god. His cashing in on Grace Anatomy success at the movie's motion picture, Maid of Honor. Sweet Home Alabama. Also incorrect. No! Wow! Okay. <laughs> Your years are 1987, okay. 2007, and 2011. Okay, what the hell's the title of that 80s movie? It's like some... Is it some kind of wonderful? No. Is it? No. It's, um... I don't think he's in that one. No, it's... But it's... it's, it's is, is this the one with, like, Eric Stoltz? 
is in this movie? Uh, I don't know if Eric Stoltz is in this one. He is the lead. Mary of this Stewart movie. Masterson. Am I thinking of a totally different movie? I'm probably. You thinking. need to be thinking of a very popular song from maybe the most popular music group of all time. Can't buy me love. Can't buy me love. There yes. you go. Oh uh, seven. Who's wait? Click into who can't buy me love and see who else is in that movie. Is that um? All right, can't buy me love. We got Courtney Gaines. Seth Green, Amanda Peterson, none of the people you were mentioning. Okay, so. all right, okay. So that was sort of a a John Hughes wannabe, a John Hughes knockoff, Can't Buy Me Love. All right, what are my other years? 07 and what? 2011. All right, Patrick, what also, are we Also, speaking here? of Ferrari and looking ridiculous in Ferrari. That is true. Blonde Dempsey, yeah. Um. All right. Oh seven. Whose log was it? It. Uh, whose log was it that it, it for Ferrari was and Patrick Dempsey as Maestro? <laughs> I, I didn't see that, but that's fantastic. Um, I forget who, who I follow that posted that, but it made me laugh. Two thousand seven. Patrick Dempsey. Is it like a rom com? Oh seven. You could classify this as a rom com. Okay. It's it probably more- one of the better rom-coms we've had since Under the Tuscan Sun, but I think it would be categorized as something else. Oh, like fantasy? Like Yes. Fantasy rom-com. Fantasy romance. Oh. No. Oh, it's Enchanted. It's Enchanted. Of course. Uh, 2011... 2011, this is a franchise that I bet you don't know he is in, because I, too, did not know he was Is in. it a Transformer? It is a Transformer! Okay, let's see if I can get the, the subtitle. Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Correct, Dark ah, of the Moon. Ah, alright, there we go, yeah, alright. That's the third? Well, the first one was in 07, so yeah, probably. 07, 09, 2011, that's probably the, the progression Who of it. Who cares about those movies? Who cares indeed? All right. Well done. Good job, us. That is our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr on thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Also on Instagram at thishadoscarbuzz. And, of course, on Patreon with our Patreon Turbulent Brilliance. At patreon.com slash this hat Oscar Buzz. Joe. Yes. Where can listeners find you? Uh Letterboxd, Blue Sky. I'm at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am on Twitter and Letterboxd at Christy File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, and Taylor Cole for our theme music. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so get out of that fountain you are dancing in and write us a nice review. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Bye.